Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 221, and I had a conversation with Amir Abdullah, and he is a Muslim American. He is an actor. He is a playwright and a screenwriter. Uh, He has played Macbeth. He's been in Romeo and Juliet. Uh, He's narrated the young adult novel Tristan Strong, Punches a Hole in the Sky. He's been on Empire and Chicago Med. Uh, Very bright man, super interesting. And I met him in a writer's group and thought, man, this guy's got some cool thoughts in the old brain pan, and I wonder if he'd be on the show. And we talk about everything from Shakespeare to uh, plays that he's been in, obviously, to what it's like to be an actor, to what it's like to be a Muslim American. Uh, We talked about his childhood and the history uh, of that. We talked about what it was like to uh, be very aware of of being Muslim when 9-11 happened and all the stuff that went on around that for him. It's lots of really great conversation. Uh, I was delighted that that he agreed to be on the show. In other news, social media, Hey Human Podcast, is on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, My personal social media, Susan Ruthism, is Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can reach me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. Speaking of heyhumanpodcast.com, there is a links page on there, and I curate every week's episode with a whole bunch of information, books, and movie things, and article things, and all sorts of things that have to do with what my guest and I talk about. So this week, of course, is no different. And definitely go check out that links page and and see what what I put up there. Uh, And Amir recommended a couple books as well. So I made sure that those were on the links page too. Uh, And I included some Shakespeare stuff because I love Shakespeare. And it's always fun to share all that kind of thing. If you are interested in music, check out my music on iTunes, Susan Ruth. Uh, Four records are on there should be not too hard to find and i'd love to know what you think send me an email tell me what you think susanruth.com for all my other sorts of things that don't have to do with the podcast and you can also uh, sign up for the mailing list there at susanruth.com rate and review hey human on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and i very much appreciate that as well it's extraordinarily helpful and gets the, the metrics doing what we want them to do on the old iTunes and the Podbeans and the Spotify's and things. Uh, a reminder, I am on the serial podcast Sentinels, The Point of No Return, written and directed by Mike Disa. That is my jumping into a voiceover work and acting on, on podcasts. It was very exciting. Check that out if you're into sci-fi stories. And I think that's it. Let's just get into this and uh, Amir and his story. Thank you for listening, everyone. I appreciate it. Please stay safe and uh, thinking about you wherever you are. And a special shout out to uh, somebody very, very important to me. You know who you are. Get well soon. All right, everyone. Love you. Here we go. Amir Abdullah, welcome to Hey Human. Hi there. Thank you for having me, Susan. See, look, it's already started, so you don't have to worry. Are you nervous? Really? <laughs> yeah, I am nervous. Uh, I am I am nervous because uh, a lot of times I, I feel like I can't 
necessarily speak uh, freely, especially in this time. Like it's a very volatile time where your words and uh, the way that you express yourself is like you have to choose your words very carefully. It's a good thing, but um, at the same time, it can be it can be hard to hard to learn new things if uh, you're afraid to speak. So yeah, the ooh, no. the good news is bad news is I just forgot to hit a button but it still works the good news is uh is that this is a very free space a very vulnerable and open and loving and accepting space so whatever you have to say if you need to swear if you need to get mad if you know anything if you cry i've cried on this show like countless times (laughs) Uh, i heard (laughs) it's true it's true i have so you know I, I welcome you to, you know, obviously you're going to feel what you feel, but I just so you know, this is safety. So, yeah. And if somebody uh, I has don't a, think it, I don't think it's you I'm scared of. You know, I was just going to say, if somebody has an issue with something that you and I are talking about, then they can come to me and I'll deal with it. So, <laughs> so it's all good. Trust me. I appreciate that. I like that Susan armor. I got it. Yeah. I, got it. I, I mean, I've, I've had all sorts of interesting <laughs> folks on this show. People that... I don't oh, I know. Ex- yeah. The, but- the the last couple of shows, I mean, I, I was like, I don't know if I'm as interesting as someone that works as a, a dominatrix as, as, and a, a psychologist, like at the same time, I was like, man, I was like, I'm really honored to be here <laughs> to, to, to approach the same mic. <laughs> I'm really glad you're here too. And you know what? I know how to spot interesting people. So it, it's all good. <laughs> I'm excited too. I'm excited too. All right. Tell me about, firstly, you're in Los Angeles. Yes. And in Los Angeles. I've been here a little under uh, 10 years, which is wild to say. Like, it's a city that can feel like you just got here, and then in a blink of an eye, you've been here for a while. So that's definitely my case. When your parents, remember when we were little and our parents, I don't know if your parents did this, said like, oh, you know, wait till you're older. Time's going to fly by. I uh, know. And then the pandemic came. This is forever. That no, is <laughs> true. That is true. The months of this year, I keep saying that we shouldn't even have to count this year because, you know, at least on birthdays, I don't think this birthday year counts. Just roll the clock back. You're a year younger. I deem it so. <laughs> oh, you're late. I've been doing that since 2010, Susan. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, which is interesting because it's one of the places that's been in the news lately uh, for taking down uh, one of the Confederate statues. There's a, a statue in a place called Hemings Park, which was named after a Confederate general. And... Uh, They've taken down one of the statues. Also, a lot of the high schools uh, around the area were named after Confederate uh, generals. We had Jeb Stewart, uh, Robert Lee, Robert E. Lee, uh, Nathaniel B. Forrester. Like these were the names of some of the schools that were in my area. I used to grow up seeing a Confederate flag literally every single day, and uh, in some strange ways, it it becomes it becomes normal like it it was a normal state of existence for me to be constantly around um and just accept like symbols of uh, white supremacy that was that was a part of it i mean even as a kid i had gone i grew up i was born in in atlanta 
we'd gone up to Stone Mountain for Stone Mountain, Georgia, for uh, one of the Fourth of July celebrations. Stone Mountain, Georgia, has like four Confederate generals etched into the mountain, and here we are. You know, a, a, a black family that just there, yay! You know, American freedom. It's a very interesting place that we're that that we live in. I mean, it's a it's it's informed a few things, and I can definitely see. You know, I definitely have a unique perspective uh, growing up constantly around that. Did 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 it in, uh, create conversation in the family? Because especially when you when you're little, when you're little, you don't know, right? And then you hit a certain age, self awareness kicks in, and other people's well, opinions kick in, and then you get history lessons which are already whitewashed anyway from our generation. So then. How do you come home from school and be like, uh, mom, dad, what, what's up with that? Well, I, I was very fortunate in some ways, number one, to have both parents present and a, a grandmother. But uh, both of my parents, my parents came from very different, um, different backgrounds as far as uh, my mother grew up in, in the north D.C. area. Uh, she and my grandmother were basically, you know, their, their family were of a black business class. They were able to, uh, They, my grandmother's side of the family owned a very famous uh, flower shop called uh, Chisley's Flowers, which was in the uh, Washington DC area. And it was the place that a lot of the, it's obviously it's a very segregated time where if you were somebody who was somebody in the black community, that's where you went, went and got your flowers. And uh, it was a very successful business. There are pictures of uh, my great uncle with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, other dignitaries, you know, within the uh, African American community. So my brother, my mother, and, and grandmother grew up around a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of volatility, but also uh, a fair amount of uh, success during during uh, that time, relatively speaking, especially considering what was going on down south, which is where my father grew up in, in Miami, Florida, in the projects. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the movie uh, Moonlight, but the Pork and Beans Project is where my the other half of my family is from. Uh, also, uh, obviously, very segregated. It was America and still is America. Some people will, will absolutely argue you know, during that time. Um, but my father was one of the, was a part of one of the first uh, graduating classes at University of Miami that uh, was desegregated. Uh, they, and especially with inner city kids, which makes a, a big difference. So there was a, a protest uh, the week before, um, the week, there was a protest at uh, the University of Miami that was ongoing. Uh, some of the black students were complaining because there were, there were no black, there were all hardly, there was hardly any black representation, which is sad because I feel as if a lot of universities are now st are still having that same uh, conversation and, and same argument. But this was going going on around 1968. And so 1968. So uh, they came and offered scholarships at several of the inner city schools at, uh, in Miami, in the city of Miami, which was almost unheard of. Miami was known as like Suntan U. It was wealth in Coral Gables, a, a wealthy historically, you know, a wealthy uh, 
white area, which was adjacent to the historically black area, Coconut Grove, Florida. Um, but it was basically an oasis. And they had come to the school and offered scholarships to some of the kids. My dad went to uh, Miami Northwestern, which is a, you know, a fairly famous school, uh, at least for their football program in uh, Northwest Miami. And these were the, like, these were the stories that I, I, I grew up with. Um, the, these were the, my parents did a, a wonderful job with teaching us our history. We went to, several times to the uh, plantation. There's a plantation in the Jacksonville area called Kingsley Plantation. Uh, and it's relatively still intact with the big house, the, the slave quarters. All of these things were very much etched in my mind. Even the, the statue of Andrew Jackson downtown, uh, James Weldon Johnson, the uh, writer of the Black National Anthem, anthem uh, is from Jacksonville, Florida. There's a lot of rich, rich history and rich black history in uh, those areas. Uh, Bethune-Cookman College wasn't too far from me, which was uh, after uh, Mary McLeod Bethune. Uh, there are several historically black colleges and, and universities in the area and Waters College. Like there's a rich black history that my parents did a, a wonderful job with, uh, you know, enriching us with and making sure we knew we knew where we came from. And even, and especially since we weren't going to get some of that education in school. So <laughs> I remember I definitely gave some of my uh, teachers a, a difficult time in high school, especially my history teachers would, we'd have to, you know, European history was a, a requirement for us to, us to take, but we only covered certain parts of European history, which is a disservice to a lot of us. So our history doesn't matter. We can't take African history. We can't take any, we, everything else gets encompassed in world history, but we're, we have to take a, a European history class as, as a requirement. Not that I feel like there's nothing like there's nothing to be gained from learning European history. I'm just saying it is a tool that shows us what is important to people. I think it's problematic to only show one part of history. I mean, we talk about that a lot on this podcast that that, that does a disservice to all of us. Yes. And it's just wrong. <laughs> Aside from the fact that it's <laughs> just wrong, it all—it's it, got a lot of layers. You know, a wrong. B, you know, you rob people of, of of a beautiful understanding of the world at large, which is a shame on so many levels. You know, and I—I I, still—I have no idea. I mean, I know why. I understand why it's that way, but I don't understand on a deeper human level why anyone would want to rob themselves of that it's it's just so mind-boggling for me but then i come from a totally because different perspective. knowledge is dangerous yeah. that's why yeah because knowing is dangerous to, yeah to a lot of people because yeah. if you if you know as the saying goes if you knew better you do better <laughs> also the don't don't make me think don't make me think if i think then i have to look at how i'm culpable and how i play a part in this whole in this whole system and that makes people wildly uncomfortable. Right, and it and it absolutely uh, destroys the mythos and and the the way that the country is is built up. The United States is built up into exceptionalism, and having to hold a mirror up and take a look, you might not you might not like some of the things that we 
that we'd find. You won't like some of the things that you'd find because it can go against a lot of the things that we are that we were taught, and even the histories that were that are passed down from uh, you know from the people before us. That's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people, and there's no there's little to no incentive to do it. And that's why I say I think coming from the South, you do have a decent under, like, I, I think I do have a, a unique perspective of being able to understand where some of the, uh, you know, where some of the racism comes from, the fear that's involved in it. And, uh, you know, the, the difficulty in losing a, what you, what you deem a part of yourself and that they needing to feel validated and feel like you, like you matter for lack of a better word. And that's something that's that uh, some poor white people would feel it as if it's it's slipping away from them. Yeah, I, mean, I understand that on an intellectual level, but uh, just pouring a little empathy or compassion or just not knowledge, like you said, it's. I had a conversation with somebody um, the other day. I've been being a Facebook warrior these days because it's just it's unbelievable anyway and somebody had posted something that was absolutely false it was a flat-out lie and I said I reached out to them privately and I said this isn't true this is why it's not true this is why it's problematic and they responded oh oh yeah okay yeah I guess that's not true but they didn't take it down which I've I don't get that either. It's one thing to learn and grow, you know, give yourself room to do those things, but then take action. Yeah. Uh, but again, Susan, what's the incentive? What's the incentive for that person to take some action? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer. Right. I don't that's have an answer. The, and, yeah, and, and that's the hard thing with trying to solve some of these existential problems. And I... I, I I think I did just mention that it was poor white people. It's not. It's not. It's it, this exists at every single level from the poor to the rich, and especially with everything that's going on now. You see, I what I deem performative acts of wokeness from <laughs> companies that uh, that have not stood historically for you know, equal rights, not just for black people, but just for the people that work that work there for the for said companies. So uh, it's this is a very unique it's a very unique and interesting time to to, to be in and also Susan this is why I, a lot of times I, I feel like it's difficult for me to say anything because on one end you would you can argue that okay large multinational companies says black lives matter that's better than what they were doing in 2015 when I was, uh, you know, when I started being out in the streets to, to protest and say Black Lives Matter. But it's another thing if this same multinational company has just fired someone who was black that was advocating for their same right, for, 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 right, for their rights to be protected from the coronavirus or from, you know, getting equal pay or a living wage or if they're in my opinion, all of these things are connected, but that's not a conversation that a lot of people are having or are willing to have. Well, and I think too, the one color that is the true superior color 
to most is green. Money. Yes. It's money. Yes. Yes. It comes down to money. Yeah. Well, well you know, euros yeah. and stuff aren't necessarily, you know, they got metal euros. They, they're purple and stuff. So, no. <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah, I know. I'm othering money now. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> and I think about that, too. You know, it's funny because I had this uh, conversation um, with someone the other day, uh, just offhandedly, and and I was voicing frustrations and they said, well, isn't that other ring too? Aren't you doing exactly what, I'm like, oh, where does the line get drawn? Do I get to not yeah. other people that are living in a, in a brain place that pushes down others to make themselves feel good? I, I think that's, you know, and so I get trapped in, like you said, an existential problem, a philosophical problem. But, right. and and no, you can. It's so easy to. It is so easy to get caught in like a, a feedback loop of, I don't want to say wokeness, but like it's a feedback loop of, okay, well, I can't do, so what do I, okay, then I have a, a lot of times I encourage myself and others just to take a breath and do what we can change right there, with, right right here, what what's right there in front of us. That's the main thing we can do. We can make those changes. And yes, we can make some changes like, trying to cut out said multinational company if that's what if that's what you're you're capable of but you can do it in other ways and we have to i want to be careful in my own personal life with shaming people for not living the way that i personally right of course and that's that's the conundrum that's the thing i mean my whole my whole life is is a particular mindset and and if other people aren't there yet I, you know, because of what I believe and who I am, I have to leave room for that compassion, which is annoying right. as fuck. <laughs> like, I don't want to nah, be... No, you got to have that. Em- you have to have empathy, though, because that's the no. thing that, got, I mean, that's part of the thing that got you to where you are today, you know, where you are today. Yeah, I, was, I know, but you get the... your own... Was, it's like the joke's on me. empathy on you. So. Yeah, the joke's on me. The joke's on me. And 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 it's funny, too, the idea of woke. Sometimes that, that word to me sometimes is so annoying. It's like, you know what? Firstly, I feel like woke came about because people want to make it about themselves. Look at me protesting. Look at me doing this. Look at me. Right. And so they're like, I'm woke. It's like there, there's that line about uh, charity in the Bible about let not... The, you know the the left hand know what the right hand is doing in other words like mm-hmm. it, it sort of ruins the point if you have to make it about yourself you know right. i don't know it's but then there's that conundrum of you want to be vocal about it because you hope that it perhaps inspires or lights a fire on under someone else we are in a constant state of as you say perfectly yes. yeah. of that that it's existential yeah, yeah. And uh, and I do not have the answers. No. I do not have the answers to, 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 to it. Other than it's it's good that it's good that these conversations. It's good that the conversations are happening. Yeah, um, and uncomfortable and ones it's especially. Good that top, it's good that they're topics you're comfortable with. And the, but there there are things I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable with uh, with talking about because I don't have enough knowledge on some of these subjects. Right. So it's. I get you, that. You too. want to be woke, but you want to get. You, you, but you, you also got to learn. Yeah, got to learn your wokeness. Here, <laughs> so listen. I, Listening is a big part of it as well. And then, uh, you know, there's always the. 
I, I think the most beautiful thing about existing is that we don't know shit. And every day, you know, we're trying to learn something more. And, that, you know, that there's so much out there to know between each other, between the world at large. And that's exciting. And, yeah, and it, it, it's, it's it is exciting. Yeah. And uh, it's it's also I think for me, it's also a little depressing because I feel like I'm so lucky to be able to know that to be able to have sit down and like have a conversation with somebody who's completely like outside of myself or out of where I I came from but I think the most important thing for a lot of people to remember is that this isn't happening every single other place this isn't everywhere that's and that's the hardest thing about living especially in uh in in big in larger cities I've lived in quite a few and there's a big, there's a, there can be a difference. There can be a difference because you have to be, you are forced to be around other people. The incentive is, okay, if I want to continue to function in society, I have to be around, I have to be around other people. There's no way, there's a a less of a chance of avoiding it. Whereas in other communities or other people even, they can avoid that. I mean, as we say, we talk about rural versus urban, but you look in, at the city of Los Angeles, people on the west side, some people on the west side only want to stay on the west side. They don't want to come to the other, they don't want to come to any other places. People get to live in, a lot of people get to live in a bubble. Um, and it doesn't matter where you are. You can be in a rural place or in an, an urban city. You can you can still do that if that's what you want to do. And, and if you have no incentive to move outside of your bubble. And so that's why I think we're at a difficult time in a difficult time in history. And we have to find things that connect us all together. When you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, do you look at yourself and say, hi, Amir? Or do you look at yourself and say, hi, black guy? I have to now go out into the world and people, you know, most people are, it's not going to occur to them. What does that enter your consciousness? When I look in the mirror in the morning, sometimes I go, oh, my God. <laughs> but other than that, I don't go, oh, I'm a white person. Do you know what I mean? There's this voice, this constant voice that that is screaming out saying, you know, you need to do this or you need to toe the line or you can't talk back. You know, it's where is that an identity? When, I don't think it's when I, I look in the mirror, maybe after I've gotten dressed. Maybe after I've gotten dressed and, and and looked at what clothes I put on, I do sometimes say, "Okay, is what I'm wearing going to look like I'm wearing something that's affiliated with a particular gang that people will associate me with?" Is somebody going to look at me? Yes, absolutely. I, 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 you do look at yourself and make certain choices in order to minimize the uh, minimize danger. I, at least that's the way that I have grown up yes that's the way i've grown up is to minimize whatever danger that i feel like i put myself in even today susan so we're for the audience full disclosure we're on a zoom call um with the video on so i had to make choices in order to see what i look like i had a different shirt on that i had a different shirt on that had something like uh you know you invented swagger like it was a very like an aggressive shirt so i was like okay let me tone this down and and, and 
put this on so that you could, you know, so that we can have a conversation. It isn't necessarily about you, Susan, but it is about the way that I, that you can be perceived. And I think that goes to all facets and all people to a certain extent. But I think what the difference is, is that it can be amplified, um, it, is that it, it's amplified times 10 when you're talking about someone of a different uh, skin tone, skin color. Yeah, I think perhaps exactly. women have that experience when they're getting dressed and think, is this too provocative? <clears throat> Am I going to yes. get this or that? Is somebody going to, if something happens, God forbid, are they going to blame me for what I'm wearing? Right. Is a sweatshirt immediately mean that I'm carrying a weapon? I mean, that's an insane A to B. That's A to some other language as far as I'm concerned. But uh, of course, that's something that is absolutely probably always in the back of the mind of somebody of color yeah i mean i i, I wish i could say it was in the if it, it stayed in the back of the mind but um a lot of times my existence isn't necessarily around a strictly black community or a strictly brown community i end up inhabiting spaces that have a lot of different people so i think there's a lack of comfort there in some ways there's a lack of comfort there that uh that you have to be able to to work around and work through. And it's honestly just something that I've had to live with because I've been in, I've been fortunate enough, I think. I don't know if that's to say, that's, that's the thing to say, but I've been fortunate enough to be around a lot of different types of people, yeah. uh, even growing up. I do think you're, you're right on that it, it must create a sense of, I don't know if PTSD is the right word, but an anxiety at yeah. the very least. Yes, uh, yeah, it definitely does. Uh, and, and for me personally, for uh, for many reasons. So, uh, also full disclosure, I uh, I grew up in a a Muslim household, uh, very orthodox Muslim household, and uh, during that time, like especially pre uh, two thousand one. It was easier, relatively easier to live in a, uh, I guess, in sort of an anonymous way. Like, yes, my, like people did wonder, oh, why does your mom have a towel on her head? Like, or why is your mom wearing this? Like, people ask those type of those questions. People ask those questions and you'd give an answer or whatnot. But for the most part, no one, no one cared that much. It was just, oh, that's weird, whatever. Um, whereas obviously after a, uh, after 2001, things changed for a lot of people. And there were other conversations that that had to be had. And how old were you? Oh, I don't want to ask your age because you're an actor. Strike that from the record. I will uh, delete I that. Um, <laughs> I was, it was my sophomore year of high school. It was my sophomore year of high school. I, I was in Spanish class and I remember when a student turned around to me and said, I hope your family didn't have anything to do with this. This was like literally while, you know, while we're in class watching TV and people are losing their lives. Somebody turned around and said that to me. What was, uh, what would your, how do you even respond to something like that? Here's the thing too. It's it's, I mean, it was a shocking, you know, it was a shocking and horrible thing to, to see, you know, that happened anyway, you know, the uh, immense loss of life, like it was something, it was actually, you know, it was something that this country hadn't experienced in my lifetime, during my lifetime. So 
it was a a, a hor- harrowing, horrible event for you know for a lot of people. But that's what we're famous for, right? Humans, I mean, lumping everyone into the action or deed of a couple people and yes. then unilaterally saying, blah. I mean, my God, yes. in the Inquisition times, the, the Catholics weren't real kind and friendly, but nobody gives nuns a hard time for wearing full habit. Where do you get to pick and choose? Well, also the, you know, they, they won. That's the other reason. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> the Catholics won. That's a good you point. Know, and I say that as a person that was, you know, I'm, I'm Muslim. I actually uh, trace my ancestry, my... Uh, on my father's side, we are descended of Moors from from Spain, and I'm assuming Muslims, you know, as Muslims and Jews, obviously that were there during during that time, and then the uh, obviously Christians as well. And the Inquisition happened. Jews, obviously, you know, were slaughtered. Muslims were slaughtered or forced to leave or forced to convert. Like it was a horrible time. But like I said, the Catholics. One and ended up being able to, uh, you know, write that history. Now, I will say this: after going to Spain uh, last year, they are trying to make uh, this the state, the the country is trying to make definitely make amends and talk about those, uh, you know, those times in history, which is a difference from what we do. But you know, from I, I, what we do in uh, you know as as Americans in. A lot of times people say, just get over it, or it was a long time ago, who cares? So yeah, there's a, there's a difference in the way our, our culture handles something versus a different culture. But um, no, it's a different way of, it, it's a different way of, you know, coming to terms with, with your history and your contribution to it. Our culture doesn't necessarily allow for that or want that. Again, I... I in America, we are about incentives, it seems. What is the incentive to do it? Mm-hmm. Are you still practicing Muslim, or did you uh, grow up and say, Mom, Dad, you're weird, and then, <laughs> or whatever, you know, kids no, do? Um, no, I'm, st- I'm still practicing. I'm still a Muslim, um, but my views have, have, have definitely evolved and changed over the years. And by the way, I should point out when I say, oh, you're weird, I mean like kids who grow up in, in religious yeah, households. I'm not offended. Yeah, okay. I just I'm like, I should clarify season. that. <laughs> I'm not offended. But you know, that I'm happens a lot. Is that, <laughs> we, uh, that happens a lot when kids grow up in, in hyper religious families that as soon as they're out of the house, they're like, later, taters, y'all are weird. I'm not a part of that. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> No, uh, my my evolution was different, especially because, especially after uh, you know, after what happened, you know, especially after nine uh, eleven. I my family was put under a, a lot of stress. My father had a a, a, a strong leadership position at the uh, Islamic Center in in Jacksonville, and was basically at the forefront of every time that they okay. Well, there's something that's happened in the world. Let's bring somebody on. My dad was, grew up Christian, uh, knows his Bible very well, and was able to, okay, to either juxtapose, talk about, and, and be able to compare and contrast the religions in, in, in an educated way that people could understand. So um, there was also like a, a lot of hate and a lot of flack. And, and I remember they were, you know, blacked out cars in front of my house. I remember having 
IDs confiscated when I went to the airport. This was early. This was before we, you know, this was early on. And I, I think the most egregious thing, so I, I definitely have been detained several times, but I think the most egregious thing was I basically got interrogated in, in the open, um, in the open uh, after uh, or before I even got into, got onto a flight. And sometimes when, when it comes to, so my name is the, uh, is the most obvious tell, but a lot of times if you look at me and be like, okay, it's a black dude over there. You don't necessarily think, you know, you, people think whatever, people think different things, but you see the name and you're okay. Hmm. I don't know. So it's, it's hard to determine where, where, uh, where a piece of prejudice or, or whatnot comes in, comes, comes from or, or comes in. What were you asked so, when you tried to get on the plane and they were doing that? What did what did they ask you? Uh, this, okay, so the, this was a, just you know, am I in contact with drugs? Do I you know what did I see when I was here? Am I like what were you doing? You know where were like it, it was just in a very aggressive manner at a, at the gate. So I had already gone through security. I had already gone through everything, and a plane goes officer just approaches me and start and took my ID and took a picture of it, which was extremely strange so i actually called the uh, miami police department or the, the uh yeah the fort lauderdale police department and inquired as to what their tactics were and if this was something that was that was normal and why they were using it i also uh i talked to a civil rights attorney or i called a civil rights attorney but it took a while for them to get back and by then it's uh, just you know unfortunately I, I, at some point i go yes it's another day in, it's another day in america and keep it moving. And maybe that's the wrong, that's probably the wrong mentality to have and not a mentality that will bring about change for the next person. You know, but sometimes like it's exhausting. I was just going to say, I imagine it as being exhausting and say, how many fights do you have? How many fights are you expected to fight? You know, when, and it, there are certainly things worth fighting for. Absolutely. And I believe there are things worth dying for 100%. I have, I, that, that's, that's a no brainer for me, but I do get the idea of like, and, it, and, and I see thing people talk about, it's like, it's okay to rest because it's a lot. Yeah. Right. I mean, and in, in some strange way, I feel that way about where this, the black lives matter movement and everything is you know, today from, from me. You know, I I was out there pretty heavy during the time when I did have to go to work. You know, when, you know, right now, a lot of people aren't going to work. A lot of people aren't, you know, so they have time to do this. I was out there doing this when I, I when I had to do that. It was, you know, it is extremely important to me. But now it seems like the people that need to, that need to be out there now, especially are the ones that are able to take that, you know, take up that mantle and I can say, okay, all right, now where can I focus my energies now? Um, strangely enough, I have actually been trying to, the, probably the most important thing that I have done during all of, all of this was talk to an actual police officer uh, and see where they, like, they had, they had put their thoughts, they had put their thoughts up and it was pretty, it was pretty incendiary to me, and 
So I said, okay, let me let me try to talk to you. Let me engage with you. And we are, we're actually able to have a decent dialogue, but I don't know how many minds I've, I've changed, but at least we're able to, to hear each other. I don't know if that's progress. I don't know if that's good enough, but at least that's marinating in someone, in, in, in someone's mind, in someone who is employed by us to protect and serve a community. Exactly. That's it. That frustrates me. The, I say that as if it, hyperbole falls out of my mouth a lot these days. <laughs> that is so frustrating. It's like you, <laughs> you work for us. You're, the government works for us. The police work. It's not the other way around. It's not the other way around. Well, and we have a constitutional right to, you know, a fair trial. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. we are supposed to have, like, we're not, you are supposed until, to kill until, somebody on the street. Until the, <laughs> until the Patriot, uh, the Patriot Act, I said the Patriarch, that's a Freudian slip. I said, whoa, I <laughs> said, okay. The Patriot Act. <laughs> I said, I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> when the Patriot Act came along, it's that thing about you convince people to be afraid you can take away so much from them so much of their their civil liberty and their pursuit of justice and their pursuit of of their fellow man it's that thing of are you voting for your best interest or are you voting for the interests of of your brothers and sisters it's bigger yes. than me yes and by me i mean the royal me yeah <laughs> you know, like everybody, yeah. all the me's, all the me's out there. Right. Yeah. No, it, it is bigger. Um, I, I think it's funny you mentioned the, uh, the Patriot Act because uh, I had a friend of mine that showed a picture of us down in um, in Dallas. That's where I did my first year of, uh, of, of undergraduate was in at a, at a school in Dallas. And I remember it was the night before, it was the night of the... Uh, election that must have been what 2004 yeah bush 2004 election uh, i remember george w bush was on campus at that time and we were out there protesting then and we were young you know we were art students out there protesting and for me it was a you know, the you know the loss of civil liberties and which was something that was directly in front of me in in, in my community as a as a, as a muslim that was something that was, you know, directly affecting me. So it was extremely personal to be out there on the front lines. But now you fast forward to 2020, and it seems those things and those crimes and difficulties during the Bush administration have been forgotten by the people who are supposed to be on our side, that are supposed to be standing up for for human rights and and all of these things we have a very short memory we do or we have a very we we've lionized the people that are our government officials which we must remember that they work for us that they're supposed to work for us that they're supposed to be our employees yeah amen to that and i find it very problematic i get it I get the idea that, you know, when George W. Bush steps up and says, you know, I'm not voting for Trump, and then that's a rallying cry to the left, and I get that, but I think, wow, did, did y'all forget the whole host of problematic 
things from that presidency and and it is it's like you say you know we get very tunnel vision if it serves our purpose yeah uh, <laughs> we, we do. how do you human yeah, it's do. so hard I, to human I, I, I wish i had answers it's, it's, it seems like this episode is going to be just like an air of grievances <laughs> and to, uh, I don't know. Things. it's yeah. a good thing though it, it, it's a good thing because unfortunately like that's this is kind of where i end up living my life like, this is where i kind of live my life um and it's in some ways, it's it's discouraging. In some ways, it is discouraging, and it's something that you know it touches on uh, mental health and and being able to control, uh, you know, just control the things that that we that you personally can control, like within your own within your own life. And sometimes those things boil down to, okay, let me just recycle this can because this is the this is the can this aluminum can is the one that's in front of me. As opposed to, let me go collect all the cans within a 26-mile radius so I can feel like I've done something. Sometimes you can do that. One can be a lot. One moment, one breath, one day, one step, one thought. It's Mm -hmm. a lot. And I I think you're right. One kiss is all it takes. (laughs) Amen. From what I I remember, (laughs) yes. (laughs) How does your faith uh, step in to, um, you know, become the warm, fuzzy blanket that that makes you feel nourished and protected? Or do, do you find, are there crises of faith in times like this? I think in, for me personally, it's in, in all times, I'm not, I'm not an evangelical. I wish, like, sometimes I wish my faith was like, as strong as some of the people that I see out here, you know, that are Christian or even like, you know, my, my, my parents have their own, you know, have, but I think everybody, I think what I have gathered from being around people of faith and growing up in one is that everybody struggles with it. It's not something that is just, it's not, I, I, I think everybody struggles with it, but not everybody will say that. Not everybody will be upfront about their struggles with it. And I think that's the one of the biggest frustrations with like people being a part of a organized religion, especially like that's something that people talk about now. The lack of the lack of being being real. Like, um, there were there were a lot of instances when I was growing up that people. We weren't able to talk about the things that we needed to talk that I felt like we needed to talk about because these were the things that were actually going on, you know, among us. But because they were not deemed not part of the faith, there were something that there were things that we couldn't talk about. We couldn't have a discussion about. So that made it very, very difficult for me and and, and other people. It created a sort of a resentment. Um even within some of the communities that I grew up, like, racism is not is not contained just to just to white people. Of course, I there, there were there were was racism within other within even within the Muslim community. There was racism that I had to deal with and had to balance out. But I was grown up in a you know I was raised in, a, in a, with a mentality that Muslims are supposed to be better than you know, better than other people as far as the way that we treat each other, as the way that we behave toward one another. And growing up, like, as I got older, I was like, man, that does not necessarily seem to be the case. Our friends that were atheists were real nice. <laughs> so, like, 
when you're a young person of, of, of faith like that, you're like, ah, what? These things are extremely confusing to you. So, so um, I absolutely went through a, a strange time, mostly uh, during my college life, um, my college experience. So I, I went to school in Texas my first year and I left. I was having extreme difficulties with uh, honestly being a black man on uh, on campus there. Um, and an art student. And I, I, I had a real struggle my first year of, of college. I uh, was going to try to use to utilize the services there to go to therapy. I was used to being liked and being, you know, feeling like I could, I could do something here or I can make a change. And you go to a place where people don't necessarily have to, people don't have to accept you or want to accept you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about it when you're 18 years old and you're somewhere completely different? Mm. Uh, and, you know, people that are, you know, the people, some people that are close to you are extremely sick or uh, you, you have all these. There are a lot of other things that you have to that I had to think about. And I think I wasn't ready mentally to be able to handle that. So I, I left and transferred to uh, University of Miami, which was wonderful because it was such a vibrant a multicultural, multilingual campus, but at the same time, that also wasn't an accurate reflection of, I think, the, the real amount, like the greater America at that time. Like it, Miami was a, its own cosmopolitan bubble, and it was awesome. Like I was one of the, I was probably the only one of the few people that actually only spoke English in my in my circle of like thirty friends. Like it was like that. So it was an amazing experience, but at the same time, does it not necessarily prepare you for what you're going to have to uh, have to face and, and deal with once you once you leave that that vibrant, amazing environment? But on the other half, the, the other side of it is it shows you what possibilities can be, what possibilities uh, that you can be. See, we want to be hopeful, too. So, so. <laughs> Yes. So it shows you the possibilities of, of what you can have in this world. And and so there was where I uh, kind of formulated my uh, opinion and, and came to terms with my own uh, with with my faith and the way that I wanted to to practice it and believe in myself. But there was a lot of anger involved. There was a lot of frustration uh, within within uh, my dealings with other Muslims that. I had to get out. And one of my outlets, my outlet ended up being uh, being writing. And so I wrote all of this in the form of, of a play first and then a, a, a screenplay called Pray to Ball. And that's where that's where I got all of it out. <laughs> and so I'm a better person after after writing that. So uh, the, the plot of that is it's a. There are two college basketball superstars that are going to play one year and go to the league. They grew up together, best friends. One is uh, the main guy. His name is Hakeem. His mother passes away and he's thrown for a loop. All the things that were important to him kind of don't matter anymore. And so he ends up turning to faith in order to be able to fill that void. The faith he chooses is Islam and it starts off well for him, but it deteriorates the relationship with his best friend and it ends up deteriorating for himself, his relationship with other Muslims and all of that. 
becomes difficult. And so he ends up having to, you know, to choose and decide who he wants to be for himself. And so that's, that was my coming of age story that I, that I wrote. I wasn't a superstar basketball player or anything, but, (laughs) but it's ingrained in the culture. Like that's ingrained in the culture down South is uh, like college sports. Oh yeah, for sure. I lived in Tennessee for 13 years. They're big on sports. Yeah. Oh, you a volunteer? <laughs> were you a volunteer or were you a Commodore? Uh, I was neither. I just lived there. I My best friend is very much into uh, football and all that stuff, and she she tried to, to get me on board. I enjoy watching a great game of sport, but I don't care so much who wins. To me, I just want to see really the competitiveness. Yeah, well, and, and the just the, yeah, the, the, the beauty of the game. You know, the beauty of the sport, um, which sounds, I guess, silly, but I just, no, I don't, I don't. It doesn't sound silly because that's why I chose it. That's why I chose that medium of uh, that, that setting, because if there is something beautiful and, and, and attractive and attractive about it. And there, it's, it's dramatic. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen in, in sports. And that's, that's part of the, that's part of the fun. That's, that is the fun part. Yeah. And these athletes become avatars for us and you know my favorite movies is is, uh, i love sport movies where the underdog you know comes up from behind and and wins everything i just i love that so much because i'm an underdog you know and i appreciate underdogs and and i the thing i i think is so hilarious when i go to sporting events is how everyone is so focused singularly you know singularly i can't say the word singularly there it is um on their team winning and that team is them they become there's this weird symbiotic thing that happens over corn dip right (laughs) you're absolutely right and i think um it's even deeper within uh within college sports because they're of that like a lot of the students student athletes are of that community so there'll be there'll be students kids you went to school with that are that go to a certain that, that go to the, your same university or in some cases people's folks have gone there so that was the case in my in my house my dad had gone to university of miami i went there my sister went there my brother went there like we are that is our family that is what we you know that is it's identity bedrock it's yeah it's a bedrock of of us yeah and and so uh yeah it's 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 ingrained but it's especially ingrained uh down south down south mm-hmm. it's, it's different yeah and it's fascinating and fun and you know again i love the corn dip it's real good <laughs> <laughs> there's always good snacks and sporting things and i'm very happy about that so <laughs> but even I, I remember uh when you're so i grew up in seattle and uh the seahawks uh made it to the super bowl and i went to a, a party and uh I, again, even though I was from Seattle, I didn't really, I was just like, yay, fun game, friend, friends, whatever. But I got caught up in it too. And it's fascinating to feel that in my body, like suddenly going, yes, my team, what? You know, they're going to win. So what? You like, who cares? And you were like, run the ball with Marshawn. Is that, was that the game? Yeah. Was that I the mean, game that yeah, you- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting. It's fascinating. And again, it speaks to how desperately humans need and want a tribe. 
You know, we, right. we want to no, belong yeah. to something. I wish yes. the tribe that we wish to belong to was bigger. <laughs> but, but you see it in these little microcosms of, of human behavior, you know? Right, but is is that is the small amount of tribalism difficult? Like, is that the thing that's isn't that also the thing that um, is tearing us apart in some ways? Yeah, it's problematic. Yeah, I do think so because it it by default maybe unintentional consequence, but that it others. But is that who we are? Unfortunately, I'm just, I don't know why I'm asking you. I, You're supposed to ask me questions, yeah. but I'm asking you. I mean, I think is that who we are. I think it is. I think it's some somewhere in our DNA. It meant survival, and and it's very hard to get out of that DNA coding that is telling you if you hang out with these people, you will be safe. And even though now. We are not in a world where a cyber-toothed tiger or whatever it is, gonna, or an elephant's going to come stomping out of the... Or a, or a rival tribe, even. You know, we That's don't have to... because you live in L.A. Yeah, we don't have to worry about those <laughs> concerns so much, but... Um, but so we got other concerns. Yeah, well, but it's, <laughs> but it's in our DNA to feel... To assess somebody and say, how are they... And again, I speak to this all the time. Instead of saying, how is this person the same as me, our brain like defaults to this, how is this person other? Right. Right. And I don't have the answer. The whole reason I started this podcast was because I was so, I was giving up hope. I really was. I was giving up hope. I was, I, I didn't know. I felt like nothing I was doing was enough. And so this is this is what I decided. It's like this is how it's I... amazing. That's amazing, Susie, because that's part of the reason why I, I also I wrote my I, I wrote that show was because I had to figure things out. I had to I had to figure things out. I wasn't right. I wasn't right within myself, and the art gave me a the medium to do it, uh, and. I highly recommend whatever, you know, whoever's out there, you know, whoever's out there listening, if you don't consider yourself an artist, there's something that you can do. There's something that you can put out into the world, be it a drawing, a painting, a podcast, a play, a film, clay, photography. There is something out there that you can do that will that can affect someone else in a positive way. You just have to figure out you just have to figure out what that talent is and what it is that you want to say. Everybody has a story. And I think this was the most, that was probably the most important piece of advice that I learned throughout my education was that everybody has a, a story that they can tell, at least just one that's different that nobody else can tell as well. And this is what you're doing. That's what you're doing, Susan. And, and I absolutely commend you. And I encourage and, and highly recommend anybody else, you know, everybody who's listening to to do the same thanks i appreciate that and i read your your screenplay i enjoyed it very much and Thank it you. was it was cool because uh, you know it gives an it gives me an insight to you 
you know, I get to sort of peer behind the the, yeah, cur- the curtain a little bit. It's extremely personal. It's extremely personal to me. And, and that's why, you know, I don't necessarily consider myself some huge talent. Um, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to have it produced here in, in Los Angeles, uh, the, the play with some phenomenal actors and they got great reviews. It was, it was great. It was a incredible thing, but I, I'm, I'm an actor first. I'm an actor first. Um, but my talent wasn't, isn't in putting, putting on paper what everybody else was feeling. It was expressing my own thoughts and saying what it is that I needed to, that I needed to say from my voice and from my perspective. I'd like to say, like I said, I'd like to be able to write something about some 17th century British lady. That ain't where I'm coming from, though. <laughs> I had to write what was me. Yeah, well, I think truth, so, truth is resounding. Thank you. Don't you, don't you think when people come to their truth, it's undeniable? I hope so. I hope so, because there's a whole lot of people out here denying the truth. No, uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, talk about, what about acting? That was, that was my Florida, my Florida was showing. That was good. <laughs> On the acting front, this is what you went to school for, correct? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. so, uh, what I went to school for, uh, Miami and uh, Penn State. I watched your reel, too, in, in preparation. Uh-huh. It was great. So fun. I'm sorry. No, I'm just No, kidding. it's great. <laughs> I'm now, just are you wanting to be a, a theater actor or a film actor or it doesn't matter, all of the above? Uh, honestly, uh, I feel like the industry doesn't necessarily, like you don't necessarily, for me, I, I don't necessarily get to choose. I It chooses you. And I've been very, very fortunate enough to be able to make a career in this going on 10 years now. And it's been mixed. I've done amazing audiobook work to on stage here and in Europe. You know, to uh, the most recent, uh, had an episode of Empire this last season. Uh, Chicago Man. So, like back to back, I've been very fortunate to be able to have a a, a career that has gone from here to here to here to here, all different places, and so. I'd say yes. I'd like to focus on uh, on getting this film made and on the TV and film medium. But there's something special about the theater. Being there live, being able to affect the other person immediately and see like see that see the person and feel the energy. It's there's there's nothing like great theater, but there's also nothing like bad theater. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's a risk it's a risk baby it's a risk i imagine it's terrifying i think about oh man all those lines and i love going to see plays i love going to the theater so much and but as an adult now i think god how did you learn all that stuff it's so crazy how terrifying <laughs> you can't mess up because oh, that, met- that's that's the base that's just the base though the base is 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 learning the lines like i hope you can i hope i want you to evolve and 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 say, well, you know, you learned all those lines, but I've seen someone perform Hamlet, they learned more. So how did you do, you know, conveying the story? How was your, you know, how, 
how how well did I believe you know believe what you were saying? That's more so where I that's where I want you. That's your homework, Susan. Next time you go to, <laughs> to oh the no, theater. I yeah. if the theater ever opens this year, good grief. Yeah, I think about that actually. I when I forget, like for example, I um uh. Philip Seymour Hoffman. I would forget it was Philip Seymour Hoffman. Or when Jamie Foxx played Ray Charles. I remember having this moment in the theater going, I forgot it was Jamie Foxx. I thought I was watching Ray Charles. Or, uh, or gosh, uh, I've just been watching The Great, the Catherine the Great funny show on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And uh, I get so caught up. There's such, there's such phenomenal acting going on in that, that I believe them. And that, that, that lovely suspension moment. It's such a beautiful place to be when you're watching it great is. performance. It happens when I watch ballet. It happens when I, when I listen to opera where you feel like you leave your body. You're not even the person in the seat anymore. You're, you're on some, some other realm or something. That happens when I listen to Tupac. Ah, very good. <laughs> I love it. She's a, ah. Ah. Well, a poet, a poet, and a, certainly a man ahead of his time, and a great thinker. Um, and he's hiding somewhere. He's not really dead. Oh goodness! <laughs> no, I'm teasing. He's in Cuba. His, That's his, what his spirit lives on. No, you know what's funny? Like not funny, but not funny. Ha ha, funny. But that was definitely one of the first, like conspiracy theories when I was like a, a kid that like you heard about was like oh Tupac's not really dead he's in uh, Cuba that was like the thing that people mm-hmm. were like that people would say mm-hmm. and now we question we attach conspiracy theories to everything now everything I have a theory as to why <laughs> I want to hear it I think the world is is very trying and scary for some people and there's a lot of unknown and because we're a species that that feels much happier when we have control over our environment like an an unseen virus that just attacked you know the population of the world if i say that a, a lab person created it in order to destroy the earth that's much easier to swallow because it's a known, it's a control. Okay, now I've given it a face and I can stick my finger in the dike because the unknown is so terrifying. If the unknown wasn't terrifying, religion never would have taken off. Oh, you mean the known is so terrifying? You mean the known thing is terrifying? Like the, the, well, the known the of the, un- the unknown of the known. The unknown of the known. I know a virus exists, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, we'll see. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Because it's a rough time. Conspiracy theories yeah, are I mean, getting very, very complex. Time. Also, <laughs> which is really interesting. They are. They're getting I mean, super did, complex. Did you watch some of them? Did you watch? Did you watch Pandemic? I. You know what? I watched part of it because people kept talking about it, and and for me, I'm like, I gotta see what this is about, and I'm just like, but I was raised by a scientist. Right. Yeah. Oh. We were rooted in growing up a knowledge of things that were tangible you know and um and knowing that for example science is is constantly trying to prove something is wrong and and knowing that with that right isn't it constantly changing right it's constantly changing yeah and uh, no i'm asking like i want yeah oh i think it is yeah yeah yeah. well like as a scientist because 
the scientist hears a theory and then 40 scientists are like, I'm gonna prove that wrong. They, they, they're, do you know what I mean? They're, they're constantly in a state of doubtfulness, right. not in a state of support. And so, right, because but I feel like that is weaponized now. That is the thing that people mm. are weaponizing. Well, you didn't know. See, they were wrong about. They said it was going to be two million people that died. See, yeah. it's a fake virus. That like, people don't that's understand where, that's data. Where people go. People don't understand data collection. What the response to the initial panic was justified in that they didn't know anything. Now here we are, what, four or five months out, they have data from all over the world. They can piece together right. a model and they can recalibrate. But you and I both know that we live very firmly in a society that has a thought. Binary. And then it's an unfortunate thing because the world is shades of, a million shades of gray. There's the fact, I, I don't know that we ever get to a solid black or solid white state, you know? Metaphorically Except speaking, for in, on racial issues. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. You have an audition tonight. I, I, I it's no, it's more a reading. A reading. Uh, so, okay. like, I've been getting together with, uh, with like, this is the awesome thing about artists is that they'll figure out how to they'll figure out how to put something on. We'll figure out how to put something on in uh, in in a basement or over Zoom, or, you know, in on a street corner. We will figure it out yeah. in order to get our stuff done. And so there's a, a, a group that, that meets. They produce screenplays, 10-minute shorts for uh, about $300. And so there are a lot of artists that are in, a lot of writers that are in this group. We uh, submit and try to get our, get our work picked, and we read, we act in each other's stuff. So it's, it's like a whole, it's a whole thing. It's just a whole nice little uh, collective of, of writers. And I encourage people, you know, that's, I encourage people to continue to create, like, to continue to create their own. Don't wait for someone to, to give it to oh, you. Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure. Wait for someone to give it to you. For sure, for sure. That's true across the board. Be your own cheerleader. Be your own champion. Absolutely. How can people find you, Amir? I've taken so much of your time, and I could talk to you forever, I feel like. So. I could talk to you forever. It's all good. Let's talk. No. Um, it's, you can find me at www.amir-abdullah, A, V as in boy, V as in dog, U-L-L-A-H, dot com. <laughs> Perfect. And you're on Twitter and stuff too. But you, uh, you can find me on Twitter. You have yes, the fancy sir. Twitter where you have to let people, you have to allow people to be your Twitter friend. Because I, I went to add yes, you last I night. Do. Yeah. I was like, ooh, fancy. <laughs> <laughs> At Sir Amir Abdullah. <laughs> I'll put links. I'll put links on Hey Human. Um, question before we go. Uh, uh, oh, shoot. I was going to ask you. Oh, I remember now. Uh, I, we met in a writer's group and uh, you were you got so lit up talking about Shakespeare and is is that your favorite playwright? Do you have a favorite playwright or a couple of favorites? Yeah, I have a few favorites. Uh, August Wilson obviously is a, in the is the pantheon um, is in the pantheon of black black writers. Uh, Lorraine Hansberry is probably uh, my favorite as far as where the the politics align with uh, just perfection in structure. Like uh, a raisin in the sun is probably the perfect play. Like I would, uh, I make an argument that that is the perfect play of the main character having a complete arc 
redemption you feel for every single person in that show from the white guy that has to you know that has to uh come deliver the news to the to, to bobo who has to come deliver the news you feel bad for every single person in that show you have empathy for i think that is such a masterful piece of of work it's it's funny it's devastating and it perfectly captures a time in the 1960s uh, chicago i mean a raisin in the sun that is that is the perfect play in my opinion um shakespeare again as i said uh, a lot of times in the art it doesn't you don't necessarily get to pick what you do it picks you i've been very fortunate to be able to play uh a few seminal characters in, in Shakespeare. Uh, my favorite being uh, the Scottish King, Macbeth. And Shakespeare, just the, the poetry, the themes, the invention of words, like the language in general. Yeah, it's exciting. It's it's fun when done very well. I'm not gonna fool, I'm not gonna lie to you and say that there's not a bunch of boring Shakespeare out there because there can be, it's difficult to do. It's not easy. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do um, and do well. It requires a lot of, and every actor will tell you that they have to look up those words too. People don't just, people don't just study Shakespeare and uh, look at real play and just know what everything means. We have lexicons, we have, we, I go to Sparknotes still to this day to look at to look up what things are what things are being said. So please don't. We need to destigmatize. <laughs> we need to destigmatize that, like uh, our knowledge of what of what's it what's in these books. So, um, but Shakespeare is 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 incredible. Uh, I've been watching the uh, National Theatre live versions of. Uh, a lot of different plays that come out of, out of uh, England. Uh, the most recent one, or this past week, has been uh, Coralinus, and I think they premiered a different one today. See, <laughs> but, but I'm excited to watch uh, Coralinus with with uh, Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm excited to watch you, you it. You watched it already? I, I know. I'm, I'm going to watch it. I, I'm very excited. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited. I, I grew up in a house that worshipped Shakespeare, so I was very lucky. Oh, to, that's amazing. Yeah. Did you have a favorite play or a role? Uh, Midsummer's Night's Dream when I was a kid. I love Taming of the Shrew. Uh, you know. <laughs> you like the comedies. You gravitate toward the comedies. Yeah, I do. Um, Interesting. Uh, what else do I like? Uh, I mean, as why? You, as you, because I find, I'll tell you, go ahead. Why? Tell, say, please, you, I'm interested why. As you like it. I like that one as well. Um, why do I like Because they're, they're so sassy. I, and the women are strong. You know, and even when they're being played as if they're not, they they're strong. They they have a mind of their but own see, and they're but, but I would, but I would argue that in some of the, yes, as especially they're especially sassy in uh in mid in midsummer and taming of the I shoe. Mean, yeah, but like the whole nature of the play though is it's, I know I of course of course but but, but be, beyond that that's why I go my argument would be for the uh, for the uh, obviously this is great that we disagree finally no uh, my argument would be for the uh, for the uh, for this the tragedies hmm. well Hamlet Hamlet uh, I've seen about three billion times all these different actors playing Hamlet 
And I love, 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 love Hamlet as well, which a tragic female figure, obviously Ophelia. One of the hardest roles I can imagine to play. I, that is a very hard role. And I feel like it's very underwritten. But that's just my two. The sense. madness of Ophelia. I think Polonius is hilarious. He's such a jerk. But he's so funny. I mean, I, just, I don't know. I, growing up as a, as a little girl and, and going to... We would go to the um, the Shakespearean Festival in Oregon in the summer. And, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And get to do all that stuff. And, I mean, when you're a little kid and, and you're watching, it's it's so magical. It's, it's so yeah. magical. <laughs> do you remember the moment where you said, oh, this is... This is what I'm going to be. No, I fought it. Like, I fought it a lot because it wasn't something that was encouraged in my house for, for various reasons. Um, but my mom took us to see shows. She took us to see shows. She took us to see plays, especially ones that were, um, were black themed. But we, I remember going to a Metropolitan Park, which was uh, this park in Jacksonville, and seeing, like, they had a Shakespeare. They did Shakespeare in the Park uh, as well i remember uh the tempest that one was uh most etched in my mind and later probably about three years later uh the lady who played uh prospera was my drama teacher um in high school which i had no idea that was going to happen nor did i know like that was that was pretty uh, that was pretty special to like that was that was pretty special um but as far as a moment, no, because every, literally, Susan, everything, I've been picked. Like, the, the art picked me um, because I had very little direction around that, like, around my my freshman year of, of high school. I, was, I wasn't particularly great in school at that time. I had little direction. My grandmother had passed, who was, like, the, my closest, like, person to me. And so I was definitely lost and I had two drama teachers that came in and, and really helped shape me and showed me what was possible outside of Jacksonville, Florida. I was fortunate. You say your parents weren't, or no, you didn't say that. You said your household didn't necessarily support it. What, no, why? they didn't. And uh, my, my uh, those drama teachers wrote letters to uh, my to my folks. I mean, for various reasons, a lot of it is self-preservation, especially for, um, especially for us, like, uh, you know, growing up, like as a black person, I understand. I understand why my, uh, why my parents were like that because they just want, they wanted the best. They wanted the best for you. They want you to not have to struggle and not have to grind, which is the life, of the, which is the life of the artist. Um, and you know, there's an opportunity to do better then please do better by all means. I understand it. And it take, it took years to get to that level of understanding, but I understand, I understand it. Um, but yeah, I, my teachers wrote letters to my, to my folks to, uh, encourage them to allow me to do it. And to their credit, they, they supported, you know, they supported it. They supported me, uh, me studying and continuing on. And it has been a constant, like a lifelong, continuation of reaffirming my uh, commitment to the arts for them. But for me, I, I love it. This is what I do. Like, it's what I do. It's what I do. Is your and family super tight? 
Yeah, we are very tight. We're all very close. Where are you we're, in the birth order? Are you eldest? Well, I'm a second youngest out of five. Oh my gosh, five. Yeah. That's fun. A lot of us. <laughs> my, my best friend so is the trouble. eldest of five. <laughs> and I, I, she's funny because I, I get to go there for Christmas or Thanksgiving or something. And I love it. It's total freaking chaos. And I love it. And she's like, how do you love this? Because she grew up in it. So for her, it's just annoying. But for me, it's it's the cacophony. is the <laughs> best part. Did you, have, did you have brothers and sisters? I'm the accidental oopsie baby. So I came along way after my brothers and... Uh, and Basically, it was an only child for the most part. Mm. Yeah, so. So I love all the action so, and the chaos. I think it's fun. I think I think parents are superheroes. I'm not a parent, and I'm I, when I when I see when I see what they what they do and what they go through every single day, especially throughout the pandemic. I am wowed. I'm wowed. It seems exhausting. It seems extremely exhausting and just a complete selfless commitment. Shout out to all the parents out there. Lord knows I couldn't do it yet. Do you want children? <laughs> I, I think that'd be, yeah, they'd be nice. But <laughs> they'd be nice. It's but a as lot. far as it being I'd... integral to my continued existence on planet Earth. Right. But yeah, that's that the immortality thing, right? It, do you feel like the need that you have to I do often wonder that about artist types too or or anyone that is is going after something that they can make a name that lasts beyond their this mortal coil does that shift their experience <laughs> I see you I see you Do you know what I mean does it shift your experience of, of whether or not to have children to carry on your name quote unquote It's an interesting thought experiment <clears throat> I think how do I think about it? Uh, yes, I mean, and yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, <clears throat> you can have a lasting impact on this world without without it. Yeah. Yeah, you can have a lasting impact on this world without it. And yeah, for sure. That's 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 how I feel about it today. Yeah. Ask me tomorrow, I might have a different answer. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Uh, if, just one more thing for people listening. If you were to recommend um, good reading uh, to understand the Muslim culture... Probably one of the most formative books uh, for me in understand the, understanding the uh, possibilities and um, evolution of Islam from its history to uh, its, its various current forms now is uh, No God But God by Reza Aslan. Uh, that book for me was, number one, easy to understand for uh for anyone. I, I think it would be a, a book that's easy to understand by anyone. Um, it's someone that a lot of people are, are familiar with, but it's not his most, his most famous book was, uh, was Zealot, like the, the, the Chronicle of, of, of Jesus Christ. But No God But God is one of his earlier books, and I think it is wonderful in laying out a, a, comprehensive, uh, a comprehensive version of, of the history and um, various movements within within Islam. So that would be my that would be the book that I would recommend to most people. Um, also, um, a reading of of the Quran, you know, juxtaposed with the with the Bible and seeing what compares contrasts like that's important. That's important, obviously, as well. Um, yeah, that's I think those that's important as well. Um, and understanding context. 
when I talk about religion with folks and and they have their preconceived notion of what it means uh, to be a practicing Muslim, I, I often say, well, have you read the Quran? And they say, no. And I say, well, maybe start there. <laughs> start there before well, yeah. you start I mean, your argument. I would say, you, could, you could say, like I said, I, I, didn't, I hesitated to, to start there because I don't know that necessarily, like I said, everybody, people are coming in with their own preconceived notions right now anyway. Oh, so for sure. I go, okay, let's go to an analysis of Islam's place in History. In the context of, of world of the world yeah, history yeah, yeah. before we jump into okay, and let's I, go to historical let's go to historical text. Yeah, and I love his writing anyway. Uh that wasn't yeah. to say that those recommend that was perfect. I'm just saying in my experience that I get frustrated when people are, are ready to talk shit about something that they literally have nothing uh, about. <laughs> well, I, I'm not the arbiter. I'm not the arbiter I of know. all of all Muslims nor black people and Wait, I was told you were the guy. Uh, that's why I, that's the whole reason you brought me on. Huh. <laughs> now I gotta start oh, all over. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. I'll, I'll get him for you. We okay, gotta good. Speed yeah, there's like a there's <laughs> a it, red phone. Him? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing, Amir. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Uh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the time that you spent and uh, and your willingness to be on the show too. Because again, it's you know I'm just a stranger going, hey, will you do this? And you know. No, we're family. Yay. Human family. Amen. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. Thanks, Bye, everybody. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Be well. Bye.